Hello friends and welcome to Monday's edition of the Kings of Anglia podcast. It's not really a happy Monday unless of course you say you're happy to be joined by four of the five kings. It is intended to be the full five kings show today but Roscoe, true to form, is running late uh, and we'll get on to other issues where he's running late in due course. My name is Mark Heath. I'm your host as ever. Ipswich Town sadly snatched a draw from the jaws of victory at the weekend. And clearly there's a lot for us to talk about, a lot to break down. We'll do all that today. But first of all, I must introduce my fellow Kings. And first, I'm going to go to the man who wasn't around last week. He's got some issues to address on this very pod dealing with his cash. And we'll get on to that in due course. Andy Hutch Hogan Warren, how are you? How was your week off and what did you get up to? Tell us now. Did you sell my, my tash? Huh? There's no your cash, your cash. Was, oh, you, cash. You, 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 you can't grow a mustache. Oh, that's so clearly... no, that there's real issues there. And I, I didn't no, there's nothing to address there. I still can't grow one. Um yeah, there's some cash issues as well, but other other than that, all is well, thanks. How was your week off? You're at a musical, weren't you, as part of it? Yeah, went to see the Frozen musical, which um I cannot recommend highly enough. Better than any Ipswich game I've witnessed this season. Um very, very good. Were you joking? Because when you when you told us you were going to that, you said you were going to dress up as a snowman or something. Were you joking? Is that something you actually did? It's a it's a fun. That was a funny joke. Ah, oh, funny joke. No, I did I not. I did not dress up as a snowman. Ah, uh, he's been made to look a mug. Not for the first time. Speaking of mugs, Stuart Watson, how are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Other than just being called a mug, <laughs> you know that mean it, friend. I jest. I jest. And the master of jesting is the most popular king in this very room, in any room. Mike, the big porker, the grand poor sign, formerly Little Piglet, Mike Bacon. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Heathy. Yes, uh, Little Piglet, that's very interesting. Um, well, yes, um, well, did you want me to tell you what I've been doing this weekend, or are you not interested? Is it long? It probably is, knowing you. Uh, well, it's a little up for up and down, actually, my friend, for up and down. I went from the, I went from the lows, the lows of cutting my grass... And finding someone's dog had shat all over the middle of it halfway through, which had messed up my lawnmower, through to the heart, through to another low of the Cambridge result, followed by the high of watching the Bond film um, for the first time. So, oh, was it good? Give us a five second. Very, review. very, very good indeed. I think you'll enjoy it, folks. I won't give it away, but I, I'm. Yeah. Is it as good as Skyfall? No, but is it better than Spectre? Yes. Anything's better than Spectre. That's you not don't remember the man mind. with a golden gun, do you? So yeah. I can't compare that with you, young people. Yeah, I remember that. Was it better than that? Uh, yeah. Good. Excellent. I've been told it's the best Bond film of all times, but you're disagreeing. No, it's not. Fair enough. Okay. Shall we move on, boys? Shall we move on to Ipswich Town playing at Cambridge at the weekend? All look rosy, 2-0 up. Um, Town, finally, it looked like we're getting an upward trajectory firmly going. And then, unfortunately, the downward trajectory came. They conceded before half-time, as is their want after scoring a goal. Um, and went on to draw 2-2, snatching, as I say, a draw from the jaws of victory. Stuart Watson, you were there. Please give us your opening thoughts. Messed it up big time, didn't they? How they managed to throw that away, I do not know, because we've talked about Ipswich sometimes being a a team that performs for, for one half in games. I thought they performed for more than one half in game, for large, large periods of that game. It was it was pretty good, and that's what makes it so frustrating that they seem to find key moments or key phases where they just sort of let things slip. And the the first goal conceded was the killer one, two nil up, as dominant as you will see from an away performance. You'd quieten the home crowd, 
who'd started with a few pantomime boos, utterly dominant, had loads of chances, 2-0 up, and then just lapsed in concentration, lost the battle, got dragged out of shape, and that goal changes the complete complexion of the half-time team talk of Cambridge's mood going into the second half. And as controlled as Ipswich were in that second period, that one goal margin always gives you the nerves going into those last few moments. Ipswich couldn't find a killer third. Then came the Alamo. Then came that last kitchen sink effort from Cambridge. You knew the ball was going to come on top of them. You knew there was going to be a flurry of corners. And uh, they couldn't see it out. They succumbed. And it was. A, I, I look back at that late equaliser and it looks worse every time you look at it, to be fair. They lose two headers. The goalkeeper's on the seat of his pants as well. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Um, and we're talking about another more points dropped for Ipswich Town. And this is this is becoming a bit too bit too consistent now, this isn't it? Consistently dropping points, not a good habit to get into. Hutchie, what did you make of it after your week off to be bounced back into a lovely, lively game at the Abbey? Um, what did you make of it? I think Stu summed it up pretty well, really, hasn't he? Um the goal is pretty ugly at the end. The, the first one, the first goal is the killer, though. Um, I think both of them involve Cameron Burgess losing a duel. Um, the one for the first goal, a bit higher up the pitch, everyone gets sucked across. And ultimately, James Brophy's in so much space to, to ram that ball home off the bar. They'd have won that game if they hadn't conceded that goal. If they got to half time without conceding it, it would have been three points. Uh, move on because they were. Without going overboard, I didn't think they blew anybody away in this game, but they were so solid and in control against a team that who didn't offer an awful lot, aside from kind of a reasonably big striker, happy to do reasonably reasonably big striker things. Um, I didn't <laughs> think they, I didn't think they offered an awful an awful lot. But Ipswich offered them a, a way back into the game, and like Stu says, when you've um, when you're when you're going into the final few minutes with only a one goal lead, you just left you just left yourself vulnerable to to conceding um, a goal exactly of that manner, and um, and that's what they did. Hmm. Shall we dive headlong as we like to do into the big issue, the talking point from the game, which is clearly the substitution second half. Um, Paul Cook making what would be described as attacking substitutions with his side up two one, um, and obviously. It, it then backfired. So first of all, Wes Burns came on for two goals, Sonny Aluko. Who could have seen that coming? What a beauty that first goal was. Uh, and then Selena came on for Chaplin, so like for like there, 10 for 10. And then Carl Edwards came on for Scott Fraser again, like for like on the left-hand side. Clearly, the conversation after the game is that were those the right substitutions? Um, and clearly, I guess, you know, in hindsight, Town didn't win the game. They ended up conceding a goal late. So the chat is it should have been more defensive. Where do you stand on all this, Mike? Well, I think that's it's substitutions change games, they say, or substitutions don't do anything. And um, the trouble I think the Ipswich Town squad is it's so heavily packed towards attacking players that you've got that's what you've got, basically. On he doesn't have three defenders on the bench. You'll never have three like have three defenders on the bench. Um I mean, Cook has quoted as saying he doesn't like to shut up shop. That's not the way his teams play. That's not the you know, not that's not his mantra. That's fine. Um that's, there's no, no nothing wrong with that. Is that the way to win the league? Don't know. Could be very debatable because winning two one ugly at Cambridge United is probably how you go on and win the league, um, not just to carry on and just try and get a third. When you're two nil up, someone as, as a football manager once told me the next goal is always the most important by a country mile. 
two nil to two one or two nil to three nil is two completely different scenarios. Um, so that's what he just found themselves in. Look, you're bringing on quality players for quality players. It shouldn't, in theory, really make a difference, quite frankly. I don't quite see why bringing Celine one's going to make a difference. Cook, to me, doesn't want to change formation. He doesn't want to do anything different than 4-2-3-1. And you just replace the square pegs with square holes, in theory, all the time. Um, I don't know who, I don't know what defenders are on the bench. Was Toto on the bench? Yeah, Toto was there, yeah. But what would you do? You'd only bring Toto on for Burgess if you did anything like that. It's 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 changing the it's changing the formation slightly. It's it's adjusting something. Um, he's right in some ways. Bring people on with attacking flair like Edwards and Salih. You should go and get a third goal. I agree with him. That's this, you know. But the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? It's not happening, is it? <laughs> you know. So you're not affecting anything really. You're just disrupting something. Mm. Um, I imagine Saluko probably was had probably played enough. I should think he hasn't played. Much as he's he'd probably worked his socks off. Uh, difficult one. I understand why the fans get frustrated. I don't understand why Cook gets frustrated talking about it, but that's what his subs are there to influence the game. Yeah. Uh, that's a perfect segue into Stewie's chat with Cook this morning. Uh, you're talking about frustration because Cook, it's fair to say, was a little bit spiky this morning at the presser. An unusual Monday morning presser, Stewie. That doesn't normally happen. Um, but as way of a kind of conversation around this, are we at risk of being? a little bit hypocritical when we're saying to a manager, you should have been more defensive. Uh, and for years, we were saying to Big Mick, why don't you try and win the game? Go out and be more attacking. Um, you can't have it both ways, can you? And clearly, if Town hold on and win that game 2-1, the subs aren't an issue. It's the fact that they've ended up drawing the game. I say losing. It feels like a defeat. Um, so do you want to give us your thoughts on that and also Mr Cook and your chat with him this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm well aware of the irony of us talking about the, the topic of conversation being managers need to be more pragmatic after all the debate that we had around Mick I see mm. after the Cardiff result at the weekend I see the Cardiff fans are debating about five centre-halves playing and that feels that kind of uh, sparked a few memories of, of the past but Cook is at the opposite end of the spectrum and his in many ways you admire the principles of you know I like to attack I like to entertain I like to score goals and, and that's all that's what anyone who loves football wants, don't they? As Mike said, does there need to be a touch of pragmatism at times to, to grind out results? What what would the alternative have been? Would have been to bring on Toto as a takeoff an attacker and bring on Toto and, and go to a back three in preparation for that sort of late onslaught. Maybe Harper could have come on as a more sort of a, another midfielder to make it a midfield three a proper midfield three, perhaps. I don't know. But I tell you what, we all speak with hindsight, don't we? And Cook is right about that. Say Selena had stuck one in the top corner and Ipswich were on top, as I said. They were playing well. Edward Salinas, one of them does something special and they they, they win the game. Then it's a tactical masterstroke from the manager, isn't it? Um, what you could argue is that the writing was on the wall and you have to adapt to what's unfolding in front of your eyes. And I think anyone there could have seen that Cambridge were coming on to Ipswich and having had your fingers burnt in similar circumstances at Cheltenham, at Burton or at, at other places, maybe maybe that was the time to think, not, not again, not today, this isn't happening. But as I say, I'm fully aware that we're sitting here talking in, in hindsight, but to, yeah. Hutch, it sounds like you want to jump in there. Are you just sighing? 
<laughs> I don't. I don't think I made any noises at all. Um, oh. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will jump in. Um, just, I'll be honest. Yes, you could talk about these extra changes. Put Toto in. They shouldn't be conceding that goal anyway. Even, even with the personnel that they had on on the pitch, they shouldn't have conceded the first one. And if they shouldn't have conceded the second one, I think Burgess probably could have done a better job at the back post of backpedalling and winning that header. I think Hladke got himself stuck in traffic um, trying to get a ball. He's he's an undersized goalkeeper, perhaps in some ways, um, similar to David Cornell. We saw him have those issues in the past. He got stuck in traffic there. And then Edmondson's been beaten in the air by Joe Ironside as well. All of those players will have expected to have done better. And you could have had Toto and Ciala in there and still conceded that goal at which point we'd be talking about about oh they shut up shop and invited it on it's it hindsight is a wonderful thing I do I do think there's an argument that being reactive in games is something that could be improved on a, a little bit um but in terms of this particular one um I think maybe hindsight is is maybe kind of taking over a little bit because regardless of the, any changes that Cook made they should have won this game and and the fact that they didn't is, is is a worrying thing. I, I do have sympathy with Cook because he's right. Everything everything in football now is debated around the manager. I don't know if this is a, the football manager generation now, but it's always the first thing is always what the manager could have done differently. It's the players out there on the pitch playing, uh, you know, some Cameron Burgess had a bit of a shocker on Saturday. There's no getting away from it. He got dragged into bad positions. He got he looked sluggish on the turn for someone who has been brought in to be a proper League One. Head it, kick it, centre half. He lost too many of those battles. But the debate is all around what Paul Cook could have done differently. And sometimes you've got to just say the players out there should have done better in, in certain scenarios. I thought Sam Morsey had a, I think Mick Mills used the phrase, indifferent performance. I mean, for someone who was brought in to stop these sort of scenarios unfolding, the way sort of Paul Cook had sort of built him up at times, he looks a bit casual, dare I say, his concentration levels. Dip. We had the, the the free kick that he gave away, the soft one against Sheffield Wednesday. There are other moments where he, he does part of the action, but then maybe thinks he's done the hard work and doesn't sort of fully commit to, to everything in, in the turn or the drive or the move or whatever. And it's just these concentration levels throughout the team that it's almost like they think that they've done enough when they get into certain positions and it's consistency, not just from game to game, but within games as, as well. And um, yeah, it's the players that the good players now, and it's 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 on them as much as it is on the manager, isn't it? To 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 start going and delivering yeah. and seeing these games out. Hundred percent, I agree. I, I think the manager gets often unfairly portioned with the blame. Clearly, he's at the head of the club and makes substitutions and whatnot. But Ipswich Town's players, they were tuning up in that game. They should be they should be good enough, depending on, you know, regardless of what he does in terms of changes or anything, those players they put on the pitch, they should have been good enough to win that game, regardless. Um, so they have to take a decent portion of the blame for that. Um, and we'll get on to the wider issue around the team and all that kind of stuff coming on. Um, Stuart, do you want to bring us up to speed, though, with your chat with Paul this morning? Because it was, it was quite a spiky one. And, and while you do that, I'm going to bring in... A late starter, a late bloomer in many ways. <laughs> Young Roscoe has joined us, and then we can have a little bit of a light interlude where we talk about the award show we're at Thursday night. But Paul Cook this morning, um, Mr. Spikey. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't normally do a press conference on a Monday. It's normally a case of just tagging a few 
a few questions on the end after the game on a Saturday. I think it was felt that with the nature of the, the late goal, it's never easy getting quotes out of a manager looking ahead to Tuesday when their mind is so set on what's just happened literally minute, minutes earlier. So it was felt like, OK, let's just do this on, on Monday and it's Portsmouth. There's a bit more to talk about, a, a bigger game, Cook going back to his former club. And um, yeah, I guess Spikey's the, the right word. He's he, frustrated figure this morning. It was a fairly innocuous exchange with, with Brenna Woolley from BBC Suffolk. We've started by asking him about the, the appointment of Peter Reid and, and the phrase that kind of started him off was about, you know, he won't be a yes man for you, Paul. He's, you know, he's an experienced guy that, you know, you might push back on you on certain things. And that sort of triggered him. And it was like, well, that there's this, I don't like that question. There's a suggestion that my young coaches are, are yes, I've surrounded myself with yes men. That's not the case. And really from there, rather unprompted, went into a sort of this sort of, narrative about an over-analysis of the season and everything. The substitution debate from the weekend has clearly mm. annoyed him because I think, actually, I sent the audio on to Andy and he sort of said, I think four times he brought up the substitutions issue completely unprompted. No one, that, mm. that we'd moved on from Saturday. No one asked him again about the subs, but just says, I find it very tedious how every substitution, every team selection, every point gets debated and analysed in football these days um, might just be a man that still hasn't got Saturday out of his system come 8.30am on a Monday morning, still chewing on a few things. If you really wanted to, and then again, we're falling into the trap of overanalyzing everything. Is it a man that's just starting to feel a little bit of the pressure 12, 12 games in and knowing that they should have done a little bit better? I don't know, but um, it ended on a, you know, we the media Paul Cook relationship is is it actually really quite good compared to mm. some previous managers. There's always a bit of pre-chat and post-chat, and he's just I think he's just a passionate guy that you know what what you see is what you get with with Paul Cook, and I'm sure he is frustrated that those those points let slip at the weekend. But um, we are 12 games in now, and I think it is a, a valid debate. We're a quarter of the season in, Ipswich are 15th in the table, having had. The relative pick of the players they wanted to sign dropped a lot of points, conceded a lot of goals, haven't beaten a single one of the teams that have come up from the division below. I think it would be naive to not expect some fairly soft generic questions about the start so far. Hmm. And that is a debate I want to have, and we'll get on to that in due course. I do, I can, I can understand Paul Cook's frustration. I'm sure we all can, um, with being constantly questioned by um, people who, shall we say, don't do his job have have no kind of grounding yeah that in, includes in us 100% it does yeah and we get a small insight to that don't we because our job is one of those ones that everyone thinks that they can do so we get the same kind of thing you know why do you do this in the headline why don't you ask this question that kind of thing and that is annoying it is annoying frustrating from from to get that from people who've never done the job I have no idea how the job works so I do have a bit of sympathy with him um but clearly you know he is paid very well to do that job and part of that job is to field questions from the media and, and take criticism from the fans so um kind of kind of split there should we might you like you want to say something no, well no, well yeah no, <clears throat> sort of, i mean football today sees it's changed dramatically from the football i used to enjoy back in the 1980s we hark back a little bit <laughs> are, we, are we going is, is it story time with granddad is it's not story time with granddad no, do you like my jumper <laughs> by the way i've just had this jumper uh, made today that's just jumper anyway, um, made wow you had it made mm, especially yeah <laughs> 
Uh, on you go, Mike. Tell us about the 80s. Tell us about the eighties. Well, the eight, well, back in the eighties, you said you used to interview players a lot more, right? Players yeah. were the main thing. So after a game, when Tottenham, when Glenn Hoddle smashed a volley at the twenty yarder in the top corner, the only person I wanted to speak to was Glenn Hoddle. No one gave two monkeys who the manager was, David Pleat or whatever else. No one's in. The managers have made it about themselves these days. I'm sorry, but they have. They come on, and if something's not right, it's always don't blame the players. I pick the team. I take responsibility. I do this. I do that. Yeah, you know. Um, and that's fine. I've got no problem. So they can't complain when we pick their, you know, we pick their sort of heads about why you did this or why you did that. And they start worrying about that and saying, well, why do you keep... Because managers have put themselves front and centre. All right. Let's be honest. You don't see many players interviewed. It's, it's invariably the first person they want to talk to after every game on Match of the Day or Sky is the manager. That's who... The, and they might, they'll stand there with a player with a bottle of bubble in his hand because he scored the hat-trick. And that's it. And that's all you'll get from the player, a player. Um, but back in the day, they used to spend ages talking to players, analysing the game. Um, so I do. Under, I like Paul Cook. Still think he's the man for the job. Nothing's changed on that. But he's managers have also got to be far more honest as to why these questions are being asked and stop being silly that we're everyone's over. No one's over analysing anything. We're just asking questions, um, simple things about if you were happy with your subs or why did you do that. It's not over analysing. At the end of the day, you're judged on results, aren't you? And that's the bottom line. And if you don't get them, you're going to be asked questions. Fair to say. Fair to you're say. right about the, about the the manager focusing the game. You know, you look at Sky building up a big game between Man United and Man City. It will be the clash between Ole versus yeah. Ole versus Pep, isn't it? And they're the yeah. two men used as the graphic to sell a game. You know, it's maybe different now with Ronaldo coming in, but it takes that sort of star value now. To let's not forget, we watch football because we enjoy football players playing football and with that focus gets lost a little bit and you're right the players get increasingly shielded and molly coddled from the media and the fans in general it feels like Ipswich are trying to sort of redress that a little bit and make them more accessible and doing more community stuff and bridge that gap between touchline and terrace as I've as I've said before but um yeah I get it from a manager's point of view because from what Mark says, we get a very small taster of it. And I bet if it, most of the time you can deal with it, but I tell you what, if you get out of bed on the wrong side or you've had a wrong conversation with someone, um, it, it can, yeah, it annoys you. And I think that was probably the case this morning with Paul Cook. Bridging the gap between touchline and terrace, trademark Stuart Watson. That's a classic Watsonism. One of your good ones. One of your many good ones, Stewie. Now then, as we move away from the kind of deflation around the game, let's lift ourselves, lads, with a chat about our night out on Thursday. And it's, it's, it is apt. It could be no apter that Roscoe, the beard, the prodigy, has arrived late to this very chat because we, we were all sat in, on a train heading to Liverpool Street on, on uh, Thursday. Um, Mike said, I've just got a message from Ross. He says he's three minutes away. We all looked at each other and said... Well, he's not going to make it. The train's about to go. And literally, as the train started to move out of the station, it was as if it had been written into a comedy script. We saw Ross, clad in his special burgundy suit, sprinting through the uh, the turnstiles and onto the platform, only to be met with a departing train. And he did the classic, oh, like that. And we saw all this from our, our privileged position on the train as it, as it went this way. Um, so, Ross, you missed the train. Uh, and then when we got to Liverpool Street, we said, get on the next train um, and we'll, we'll go for a pint and we'll meet you at Liverpool Street. You then um, won the same train as Genoi Danassian. Mike Bacon lost his phone um, as we t- uh, tried to alight at Liverpool Street and go through the turnstiles there. Me and Stu were like two dads 
with with unruly kids, weren't we, Stu? On on a day a day trip to London, we were like, this is a nightmare. Ross isn't going to turn up. Mike's never going to find his phone. He won't be allowed onto the station. Um, but yeah, good times, Rossi. Uh, good that you were late again today. Perfectly, we didn't plan that. Of honestly, no. Um, but we had a good time out Thursday, didn't we? In our London town. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to talk about the Cambridge game because um, same old story, really. Don't want to repeat myself. Um, but no, yeah, it was. Uh, it's just typical me in it to miss a try. I don't do it on purpose, by the way. Yeah. I do like to be on time for things, but I don't know. What, just... what? do you? Mm, have well, have well. you ever have you ever been on time for anything? <laughs> uh, probably not. Even like uh, probably a very important like I don't know surgery. I'm probably going to be late for. Probably I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, surgery. <laughs> they do time appointments for surgeries. Don't yeah, they? you have to yeah. just. Rossi oh, late for his own his own surgery. Um, but yeah, I mean it it, it was good times. A little peek behind the curtain, uh, Kawe Army <laughs> Rossi. As I say, was wearing his suit, but over it he was wearing an Adidas hoodie, uh, and also he was wearing trainers and brought with him his posh shoes in his bag because he didn't want to wear his posh shoes for a minute longer than he needed to. Um, so he had a backpack because we went to the uh, the Royal Lancaster Hotel and he changed into his shoes on the tube. I think it was, wasn't it, Rossi? As we, as we yeah, the award yeah. show itself. We were, sorry, mate, carry on. Well, I think I was hoping to use my trainers to run if needed, and I did need a run, but not fast enough because I still missed the train. So there we go. <laughs> the award show itself, um, boys, we weren't there very long. Let's be honest. Award shows um, tend to be pretty dull, uh, and I'm yeah. I mean, this was a, a fairly stock standard one. It was a nice location. We turned up. We had a couple of beers. We we waited to find out if we won. We didn't win, uh, and so we left and went for another beer in London. Um, we had a little wander around Carnaby Street, Mike. I know you were very taken with that area. You wanted to go into Soho. We had a little <laughs> uh, little steak for dinner, which was lovely. Um, Hutchie, you were sorely missed, I must say. Obviously, this was uh, one of the days you were at musical. So you were in London. You were in the West End, I assume. I was, very, I was very close to you, actually. We could very have had a little, a little chat. Um, Mickey, what did, you, what did you make of our little day out in London? you enjoy it? Well, I, I found it very, very, very enjoyable evening, apart from the, when I lost my phone, which was obviously a little bit of a, a panic at stations, um, literally. Uh, I don't know what happened, but thankfully, um, the doctor came to my rescue, Mr. Watson. Um, I mean, all the years, me and him have, uh, you know, and I've, I've seen uh, a young, young, young Watson from from little embryo journalist uh, right through. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're an embryo. Uh, embryo journalist. You. How he is now is an ex- a chief football chief, chief, chief thing. And um, and uh, I've always looked after him. I like to think I've always looked after him. I've always had a little arm around his shoulder once in a while because I've, you know, I mean, I sat on the, um, I sat on him sat on his uh, interview when he came for the job. Um, but he looked after me. He's, he's the roles reversing. He's suddenly realising, Jesus, I've got to look after this old fella. He's lost his phone, so he phoned my phone. And as I was wandering up and down the train, could you believe I heard the bloody thing go off? Was it extraordinary? So thanks to Mr. Watson, I recovered my composure. And uh, thoroughly enjoyed, yeah, thoroughly good night out. Um, Ross is good value where, well, clearly good value wherever you take him. Um, even though he's a complete nightmare, he needed yeah. Mr. Train going back as well because he wanted to get a, a packet of Toberone, which is extraordinary. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, good, good, good night about that. Yeah, good I'd... night out. Um, obviously, outrage we never won, but I mean, you know, who cares? We don't, we don't, it's not all about winning. We, you know, it was a fun, a fun evening, and we missed. I did miss Mr. Hutch. It had been lovely to have the, the Hutch man with us because he's a top man, and I've, I've enjoyed his company. I know that, but um, oh, thanks, seeing, Mike. That's a pleasure, my friend. And um, so, but as he was, yes, he was. He was almost there with us in spirit in London, wasn't he? Even though he sort of wasn't with us, if you know what I mean. 
I don't really know what you mean, but uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll carry on. Stewie, um, we a win we know is better than a loss. Um, your 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 colleague and partner has has, has told us that, um, and we did lose. Um, but still, a good night was had by all. I, I was I was amused by Rossi um, again. Obviously, getting a bit got a bit scrappy at one point. Um, I remember sitting in the pub telling us how uh, if anyone tried to nick his mobile, he'd, he'd bash them up. Uh, and then consistently dropping mobile on floor. He also said that he was going to spend the rest of the night out in London uh, and then said, actually, I'll come home with you. Um, and, and went to get himself a Toblerone. So it was pretty rock and roll. Um, did you enjoy it, Stewie? That was good fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was good fun. It was good to see uh, you all with a few few beers in you. And um, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe next year. Maybe next year. There's always next year. It's the beauty of football. What's this all about, Rossi, as well, in pictures? It's just copying you, isn't he? I don't know. I don't know what it's just randomly come now. That's, absolute, that's absolutely what it is. Is uh, it's copying? Yeah. It's copying you, Mister Heath. Wow. Oh, well, you know, if he's going to have a role model, I suppose it should be me. What do, you, what do you do with your hands, though? I just don't. When I'm pitching, I just don't know what. Do you... <laughs> what do you do with your hands? Yeah. A fist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do all sorts. Do the, give it the give it the, the shaka, yeah. the hacker, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, boys, um, let's move on. We didn't win. So uh, it was very nice of you, though, KOA Army, to, to get us nominated for that award. Um, and tremendous to represent you on a night out in London. Um, and as you say, there's always next year. And hopefully Hutchie will join us next year while he giggles. Um, right then, boys, I want to play a game. What's what's touched you there, Hutchie? <laughs> Just the, the thought of you representing our fine listeners on a night out by messing about with Toblerones. I saw the videos. <laughs> I, I know what you. I know. I know what you did with that Toblerone, and yeah, I'm things, not going to say it. Things that... degenerated, shall we say, on the train on the way back. <laughs> the Toblerone was used as a prop for uh, certain body parts, wasn't it, Mister Bacon? And um, I've seen the I've seen the videos, and and if that's representing our our listenership i think you you've done everyone what, proud well done i would have wanted yeah. well done everybody i know I, I i feel i know the ko army well they'd have been proud of it <laughs> yeah um boys i want to move on i want to move on to uh talk a bit more about the uh the situation at town as you say we're, we're quarter of the way into the season and there's a lot of things to discuss but i want to play a little game by way of a segue um which i'm calling who the fucking hell are you? Who the fucking hell are you? Now then, this is based on the latest additions to the backroom staff, Ipswich Town, of which there were two more last week, Peter Reed and Gary Probert. So the game is very simple, boys. I'm going to read you out a name. I want you to tell me what they do at Ipswich Town because we've got a bloody load of them now and I'm not really sure what any of them do. So um, I'm hoping you can tell me. I shall start easy and build up. And it's going to be a process of elimination until we have one winner. I'm going to start with you, Rossi, because I think you're probably going to last the uh, the, the least amount of time. So you need the easiest one to kick off with. Rossi's Mark... frantically Googling, by the way. We Do can not see, we can yeah. see you, Rossi. No, see you. no, no, no put your, put your hands up in so two I... fists so we know that you're not... <laughs> two, two little fists. I think he's found that he's landed on the staff page now. Um... Right then, boys. Start difficult. Give him a really hard one, given that he's cheating. Right, and boys, we're going to start off. These are these are additions that have been made since the takeover. So, first name, Rossi. Mark Ashton. What's his title? What does he do? Uh, he's a birthday boy. Uh, 50 today, um, but CEO. CEO, correct. Mike Bacon, your namesake. Mike O'Leary. What's his title? Mike O'Leary, 
Uh, I'm just not. You don't Ryan know, do you? Not Ryanair, is it? Not Ryanair. <laughs> um, not Ryanair. Uh, oh, he's a chairman. Chairman. A delay there. Oh, are we on some kind of Mike yeah, Bassett style we're, we're South a... American League Cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, a few, there's a few glitches going on, so I'm hoping that's not ruining your enjoyment of this game. Um, Stewie, Luke Werhon. Um, oh, he's going to go early. He's going early. <laughs> Is he... Something along the lines of chief operating officer. Um, yes, uh, nailed it. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, excellent. That is right. You're right, chief operating officer. I would Assistant have also accepted to the regional Mark manager, Ashton, mini Mark. <laughs> exactly. Um, Hutchie, next up, Gary Roberts, uh, first team coach. Correct. Roscoe, Kieran Dyer. Under 23's coach. Correct. Mike Bacon, Francis Jeffers. Francis Jeffers, um, the fox in the you, box. You don't have to just repeat the name back to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm having to think who he is. Um, <laughs> oh. A, a, a first team coach. Correct. This is good. You're doing a lot better than I expected, boys, but there's some there's some tough ones coming up. Um, Stewie Watson, Ian Craney. Also a first-team coach. Mm, technically Ooh. just a coach. Technically Ooh. just a coach, according to Ipswich Town. Not first-team coach, just a oh, coach. Really? Just but I'll let you, coach. I'll let, I'll well, let you continue. If, if that's the case, then he really is... He barged in on the uh, the post-match discussion on, on pitch and on the game after the game at Cambridge on Saturday. We had... Uh, Paul Cook, Mark Ashton, Michael O'Leary, all the big dogs, and, and Ian Craney got involved as well. So if you're telling me he's not even a first-team coach, he's just a coach, formerly Wigan's kit man, of course, then, I don't know, did he, should he been in on that Brains Trust meeting? You tell me. Exactly, for the audience to decide. But he is a coach. I'm going to let you stay in, Stewie. Okay. I need you for the rest of the game. Um, Andy Warren, <laughs> Peter <laughs> Reid. Advisor, special advisor, secret agent advisor. Oh, I think the title is consultant, but again, I'm going to let you stay in. Um, Hutchie, John Keeley, uh, Hutchie, Rossi, John Keeley, goalkeeper coach, correct. Mike Bacon, do not repeat this name back to me, just give me the title. <laughs> Gary Probert, <laughs> is this froze? Just staring blankly. Uh, Gary Probert. No, I'm not. No, you no, I said um, don't record it. No, um, I, I don't know. No, I don't know. I, he's uh, he's new, he's a new one, isn't he? I, he's got a title. I don't know what his title is. Head of recruitment. Incorrect. Director of football operations. You, my friend, are out. Take a seat on the bench. Details never really been Mike's strong point, so I'm not not surprised <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> Stewie Watson, John Ashton. He's fitness coach. Correct. Andy Warren. Andy Rolls. Head of performance. Oh, I'll give you it. Director of performance. But I'll give you it. Andy Costin, Ross Halls. Who's Andy Costin? Oh, is he head of recruitment? He is not. 
He's uh, head of sports science. You're out. Take a seat on the bench. Just the two left who I'd expected. Um, Matt Bayard, Stuart Watson. Who's he? Well, I don't know if you're going to get me on actual wordings. Is he... I'm going to say he's head physio. He is head physio. Well done. Yes. Hutchie, this is a tough one. Ivan McCandy. Now, Ivan McCandy is strength and conditioning coach. Head of strength and conditioning. Yes, that's what he is. Right then, the Ivan final... McCandy sounds like the sort of thing in The Simpsons when they would ring up and... <laughs> And Frank Moe. Is there <laughs> Ivan McCandy here? <laughs> yes, and he's a head of sport, uh, strength and conditioning at Ipswich Town, if you're asking. Uh, final two, boys. And th- this is uh, kind of intended to illustrate where we are with the club. Brian Clue, Andy. What's his title? Uh, he's currently assistant manager of the under-23s, but I don't know if, if they've changed his title. He's... This is the official title. Head of, on head of Academy Coaching. Close, but no cigar. Head of Coaching and Player Development, Brian Clue is now. Oh, that was... I'd have given him that. There's, there's only one more left, so you may as well stay in. Lee O'Neill, Stuart Watson. What is his title? What does he do? I believe Lee is still General Manager of Football Operations. Correct. There you go. So we can bring everyone well, else can back I, in now. Can I just pick you up on this? They were very, very clear when they appointed him that there is no of... In that job title, it was general manager, football operations. No of, and they couldn't have been more clear about that. And it was ridiculous. Stuart's got it right, but the wording was incorrect. Okay, and, there you go. And I, that... and, and I just wanted to say that. <laughs> that brings us to the end of the game. So bring the other two back in. There we go. Um, I'm not really sure who won. I think probably the listeners won in that in that um, <laughs> in that little game that we just played. But the, the intention there, boys, was to illustrate just how many people town now having backroom positions and the slight confusion as to what they all do uh, and their value. Um, but in terms of the wider debate around Ipswich Town, we're now a quarter of the way into the season, 12 games in. Stuart Watson, is it fair to start judging? We've used the term needs time to gel. Is it fair to start judging Paul Cook now? Hmm. The million dollar question. Don't waste six hundred thousand pounds of dollars. <laughs> we'll come on to that. Y- yes, softly, not in a, not in a. Is it, is it time to go? Type debate, but I think you can start drawing some conclusions from where we're at. I know he, he's not happy to talk about last season's record being chucked in there, but last season did happen. He was brought in to get the team into the promotion mix and and that failed quite miserably. Um, we can't completely airbrush that from history. I know this is a complete new start and it's, what happened last season is completely different. But, you know, if you, if you put the two sets of games together now, what is it, eight wins in 20-something games? You'll have to quickly look that up. But, um, yes, but as I said, yeah, that was a long-winded way. Of I was going to say that coming that's, to that, yes. Sorry, yeah. I'll take the yes and move on to my next question to Mike Bacon. Given that's a yes, we can now start judging Paul Cook. Is Paul Cook underperforming as Ipswich Town manager? Is he underperforming or his players underperforming? I think his players are rather underperforming. I think he's got a perfectly good enough squad there. His passion is is 
is not in question. His formation that I always have a little beef about, but there you go. He's been successful with it wherever he's been. So in theory, his formation is successful. There's a lot of things that are successful about Paul Cook. So I hope he doesn't start getting too much down the old blaming everybody else type route and, and worrying why everybody else is querying his. He's got to be. You know, he's 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 big enough to, to know that he has he has, his team that he picks each week has underperformed last season and this. Um, no, there's no debate about whether he should be here or not. Of course he should be here. I mean, it cost the club an absolute fortune to get rid of him and all the people he's brought in. So that's not, <laughs> that's not happening anytime soon. So let's forget all that. But if you're talking about 12 games in, it has, as uh, Stuart correctly said, softly, has not been good enough. And he, but he knows that. He yeah. knows that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm not going to get into any, is it time for... Could, no. you know that kind of because I think that's nonsense but I do think it's fair for us to start judging him and I, and I do think you could argue that well I don't think it's even an argument it's just not been good enough so far um Hutchie however you look at stats there's always a counter stat and that seems to sum up town so far they've only lost once in seven which Paul Cook was at pains to point out this morning but they've only won three of their league games um they are the highest scorers in the league but equally they've conceded the most goals as well we're now 12 games in 15th place is not where any of us thought Ipswich Town would be after 12 games. So how do you assess? What have you learned over the first kind of quarter of this season with Ipswich Town? Well, all, all of those stats, are <clears throat> they're obviously, they play a part, but they, they all add up to Ipswich being in 15th place in League One, don't they? What, whatever weight you put on any of those stats, they, they all combine to leave a team that we know should be higher. Paul Cook knows should be higher. The, the players know should be higher. They're all fifth. They all combine for them to be fifteenth in the league. They're scoring goals. That isn't the problem, and and that's why I, I've continually felt like I have no concern over the system, as it were, the formation. I've got no worries with that whatsoever. I like that Paul Cook is principled. I like that he knows what he wants to do. I like that he coaches to those principles and. I can imagine that we're not there, obviously, but I can imagine at training the messaging and the instructions are very clear. However, they just keep shooting themselves in the in the foot, and I think a lot of it is their own doing with these silly silly goals conceded from leading positions. I think they've now lost in within all these games. They've lost eight leads that they've had in mm. within within games. That's that's a crazy amount to be to be losing leads and and that's added up as well they've led they've led against Cheltenham they've led against Cambridge they've led against Bolton these are three of the four teams that have been promoted from league 2 they also drew with Morecambe coming from behind twice so they've taken two points from those from those 12 um but three of those games they've led in them and that's that is the issue holding on to leads and I, I that they is it a concentration thing is it I, do they just need to just shut things up for after they've conceded the goal for a bit, I, I don't know, but that is where the issue is: is holding leads because they're doing the hard bit. They've led in all of those games, and if they'd mm. converted, if they converted those, what what they've got, they'd have they could have taken eight more points from those three games if they're just held on to leads against sides that were in League Two last season, and that would have put them seven, um, sixth, sorry, in the final mm. playoff place with with um with a game in hand on a couple of the sides up there as well. So that that's where the issue is. That's what needs to be sorted out. And um, I think in many ways, in many ways, this is a better position hips which are in now than they have been in recent years where we couldn't really put a finger on what 
Paul Lambert needed to do to sort out his side. It was everything, wasn't it? They weren't scoring, they were conceding, they weren't playing, they weren't making chances. At least with this side, there's a fundamental issue that you'd hope can be can be sorted. Yeah. I, I would argue under Lambert that it was clear that it was creating and scoring goals was the issue. Their defensive record was pretty good last year, but you couldn't find there wasn't the really an obvious solution within house. Whereas this time around, I think it's arguably easier to sort get the solid base, but goals and scoring goals it's hard to suddenly conjure that up out of somewhere and now at least we know however Ipswich play there's there's goals in this team which takes relieves a bit of pressure because it's easier to watch this this level of frustration is easier to take than the previous level of frustration isn't it at least you go away oh, they've lost again but in terms of a spectacle and entertainment it's it's much better but as I've said in previous podcasts we can't there comes a point where we can't use that as the bar of, oh, it's better to watch now. Because, of course, it's better to watch now. It's backed by new American owners. It's got a, a manager with a track record. It's got players that everyone else wanted. There comes a stage where it's not unfair just to to want a little bit more than this. And the fixtures, if you look at it, mm. Hipswich have won, what, how many games have they won? Four? Three. Three, Three league games. Three league Three. games, yeah. They've beaten, and two of those teams have been Shrewsbury and Doncaster, who looked rubbish, nothing. <laughs> Lincoln, who've had a bit of a sticky start to the season themselves. So, you know, it's it's not unfair for people to, to raise some concerns. And uh, the Ipswich fan base have been through a lot over a prolonged period of time. And as I've said before, it's this, there's no reference for success. It's here we go again. It's, you know, so it's up to, it's up to the manager and the players to, to eradicate that yeah. that's not that's not on us and everybody else being un, unnecessarily negative I don't think you'd have hoped they'd be sorted by now right as well because these are the games where you'd hope you'd be able to sort that out because there's there's 13 games now league one games between now and the end of the year and in that time there's home and away to Sunderland home and away to Wickham you go to Plymouth who are currently top of the league Cook has to take a team to play Liam Richardson's Wigan in that time Fleet even Fleetwood on Saturday have, have lost one in ten it's a bit of a turn turn in tide in in terms of opposition strength to come in the next um in the next 13 games which is almost sort of a repeat of the opening dozen so you would have hoped that a lot of those issues would be ironed out by this stage so for them to be 15th isn't isn't great at all it's a it's a worry but it's not a set of worries that uh, aside from the ground they've left themselves to make up, that's a concern. But it's not a set of terminal worries in 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 my in my mind. Okay, you've, you've taken it in the direction I thought you probably would, which is 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 a defence. Um, so my next question to you, Ross, is is it time for Town to make some some changes? Because that back that back line has been pretty consistent in terms of selection. Edmondson and Burgess have have played pretty much every game since they've been available. Obviously, donations come in, Penny's come in, Coulson's injured, and, and Thadkey's come back in. So do we now need to start thinking about making some changes to that? I mean, Stu says at the weekend, Burgess was not really at the races. So surely something has to change there, doesn't it? If that's the if that's the main issue, conceding these late goals, that's where you look, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Burgess didn't have a great game, really. Mm-hmm. Although I feel it was definitely fouled for the first goal, but it's happened now and we've, we've drawn 2-2 at Cambridge. But uh, do you know what? I'll bring Toto in. He had, a, you know, he had that great preseason. We thought this is going to be his time. You know, of course, he was loaned out to Bolton last season. We didn't think he was going to have an opportunity to get in a team at all. But 
He then gets injured on the opening day and he's not really had an opportunity to come back in the team, has he? But uh, yeah, I'll give Toto a chance. Last time he played at Portsmouth, though, he had an absolute mare and he was subbed at half time. So um, so maybe it's not great for him to come in at Pompey, but I think that is always the position you go look at in it to, to you, change if you're so you're goals. dipping, you're being toting and, and dropping Burgess, are you? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Okay. Um, Mike Bacon, you've said frequently on this podcast that you don't think Cook knows his best his best team. Should he by now know his best team? And what for you is his best team? I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's, I, I, just, I watched a little bit of Liverpool on, on Saturday. Um, they 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 were, and, and they they come out with a team that you can almost sort of like just rattle off. You know, it's it's sort of a similar. They have sort of eight and nine consistent starters, um, and. And Ipswich Town, they're starting to sort of get to that point, but without actually winning games on a regular basis. So he's actually playing quite a few. It's a good idea to get a team knitted. You don't want to keep making too many changes. I mean, you know, he's played the two defenders, Edmondson and Burgess, quite a lot when they're both fit now. Do you suddenly drop one and bring Toto in? I'm not saying you don't, because Toto had a good start to the season. Obviously, he was injured first match, but he was looking good pre-season. You don't. I don't know what his best team is. I don't think he knows exactly what his best team is. I mean, only for you only need Bond to go off the scoring pot for a little while, which could happen because I mean he's had a brilliant start, Bond. But he, he can't keep scoring eight goals in however many games. He's going to go off the ball slightly sometime. Then what do you do? So mm. you've got to be prepared. Um, but I wouldn't go chopping and changing too much. I think he was right. To, to keep the, to, with the team when it came. I, don't think so. I thought Chaplin scored goals. Why shouldn't he play in the number 10? He scored three goals in whatever many games. Um, it's it's a case of keeping calm, really, isn't it? I mean, you, you keep chop, you've got enough good players to chop and change, but are you just going to find a magic formula because you're just stumbling across it if you keep doing that, if you're not careful? No, you. I mean, d- damn right. The best teams in any team sport are consistent teams, aren't they, that have a, a consistent lineup. But clearly there are question marks around some of this town team, aren't there, Stu? Is it not fair to start looking at the back line and, and Hladke? Um, we thought that the kind of front four were fairly settled. That now doesn't appear to be the case. Obviously, Carl Edwards was injured. He struggled to get back in. Chaplin's come in. Serena's played the 10. Burns seemed like he was nailed on. Then he gets dropped at the weekend. Obviously, the only real kind of consistent starter there is, is McCauley Bond. Where do you stand on the, on the team selection and, and, and Paul Cook's best eleven? Mm. Well, what Mike said there is exactly what Mick Mills was saying. I was sat next to him during the during the game, and he was Liverpool was the exact example that he used. Is that successful teams have a core of minimum eight or nine players that you can, you know, if you look back over successful teams, you can names reel off the tongue, don't they? Mm. And Ipswich aren't there at the moment. There were a few that were starting to look that way, but who's their best goalkeeper? We don't know because Walton's had one game and got injured. I still think that he'll he'll come in. Halagki responded really well to a, to a tough start, but again, I thought Saturday was a reminder that he, he might not be quite at the at the level that we need, possibly. Edmondson, I think, has got a long, long way to grow. Um, I think he'll be one that nails down the starter spot. Morsi, clearly, as captain, will be one. Bon at the top end of the pitch, and then you're starting to get your spine. Temptation's going to be strong to rotate because of the amount of players that are all all on a level, aren't they? Um, normally, I'm the first one to sort of say that teams defend from the front and the goals being conceded isn't always as simple as change the goalkeeper, change the centre-half. But I thought the front end of the team did the 
the ugly stuff on Saturday. They were they were more aggressive. They pressed really well. They did all of that sort of stuff, and the goals conceded were just down to some soft defending, you know, through through several players. So, yeah, Toto for Burgess would be one that I would be starting to think about. I'm not convinced that he'll suddenly do it tomorrow because I think Paul Cook has shown he's a manager that likes to not do knee-jerk reactions at the first mm. opportunity. If you remember, he did... They obviously beat Doncaster 6-0, same team, then lost to Accrington. And I think there was only one enforced change off the back of that for the next game for Shrewsbury because he said, if you make one or two changes to a team that's had a bad result, it's almost like you're pinning it on those those two players. So I think he'll give them a game or two to sort of prove that it's you know it's a one-game blip. But um, yeah, I, I mean, even the left-back situation, until Coulson's fully fit, we don't know what that, that situation's going to be. As, as well as Janoy Danassian's playing, was he a bit of a, a sticking plaster solution because of the goals they were conceding and Kane Vincent Young not being sort of bang up to it? So... This team is certainly far from nobody really knows what this strongest eleven is go- is going to look like. And as you say, we're we're eleven, we're twelve games in now, which um, mm. you would have hoped. I think that there would have been more semblance of a a starting eleven sort of showing by now. Mm. Andy, we're going to move on to something a bit lighter. But anything else to throw into the the team pot? Do you know what Town's best eleven is? I don't think anyone can say that. With any, can any with any certainty, I've got a little team written in front of me with some question marks and some initials in it. And I think this is, I think Paul Cook. There, there are players he would want. He wants Christian Walton to be his starting goalkeeper, and I think that's a matter of time until that happens. I think he wants George Edmondson and Cameron Burgess to be his starting centre halves. So I think Stu's right. I think as much as I would certainly be looking at Toto at this point from a personal point of view, I, I think. I think the FA Cup game with um, with Oldham might um, might be a maybe a bit of a mark in the sand for some of these players that it, that who might get a chance in that game and that might be a chance for some to to genuinely stake a claim. Maybe Toto needs one more dominant display while Burgess is a bit off colour to get that one. I think his midfield is what he wants. He wants Evans and Morsi. If he can put them on the field, I think he will. And then I think Burn, I think Wes Burns has probably nailed. I don't think he was necessarily dropped at the weekend. I think that I think that might be kind of the ongoing kind of fitness issues and lack of training that he's had with 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 Tuesday games and, and Saturday games to come. I think he'll start against Portsmouth. So him and Bon have maybe nailed down those front positions. I'd say that Connor Chaplin is moving towards nailing down the, the number ten as well, which only leaves one more in that in that front four. And then you've got Selena. Um, Edwards, obviously, a Luco has scored goals at the weekend, and Scott Fraser, who's been playing the majority of games, he, he's one that I would say might be um, looking over his shoulder a little bit yeah. potentially in the in the next the next couple of games. So, um, I think well, over the sorry, Andrew, go. no, you go, mate. What I will say is that that team that you've kind of rattled through in Cook's defence, and he is right, there have been reasons beyond his control which have stopped him from. Yeah, you know, I don't think a lot of these a lot of these have been quite enforced. Where sort of um, Evans suddenly can't play at the weekend because his his partner's uh, gone into labour, and Tom Carroll's just starting to bed himself in the team. He gets injured. Walton comes in. He gets injured. Aluko had an injury towards the start of the season. Chaplin started the first game of the season. He got injured. So I don't think it's through what I think Cook desperately wants to get to that position where he has a a regular team and, and probably is as frustrated as anyone that he's not been able to get to that stage yet. So 
let's see let's see um what he starts picking once everyone's kind of fit and available if if we ever get to that stage that's that's a point another point that Mick Mills made I can't remember if this was on the air or when we were talking talking off it on Saturday Stu that, that like a game away at Plymouth for example or away again the game that's coming up at Sunderland those are days where you see Paul Cook put what he thinks is his strongest possible 11 on the pitch because you're going to the leaders at Plymouth. Portsmouth may be one of those games. I don't know. You go to Plymouth, the leaders, you go to Sunderland, the biggest of heavyweights in the league. Those are the days where you see what Paul Cook thinks is his strongest 11 on the pitch. Hmm. And we'll come on to Pompey in due course. But before we do, after another fairly heavy chat, a small interlude of light amongst all the darkness. Mike Bacon, <clears throat> we frequently said that you are the most popular king. I don't think there's any question about that. I saw one member of the KOA army, Mike, getting a bit carried away this weekend, referring to you as an icon. Um, oh, steady, really? on, steady on, Mike, is what I'd say to, to that. Um, Bacon's ego is already the size of France. Um, he does not need any more plumping up. Um, although I did enjoy someone else referred to you as the B-Tech John Terry for coming to the awards with us on Thursday, <laughs> having appeared on three or four shows. Um, but anyway, there you go. I did invite you. So anyway... We've had a correspondence <laughs> from our Amsterdam correspondent, Peter McLeod. Now, the shadowy archant figures have been giving me some jip about having an Amsterdam correspondent. 80 grand a year, they say. What does he do? I say he doesn't really do anything. He's just our fixer for when we set up KOA Live Amsterdam, which is surely going to happen. Anyway, he's earned every penny of the 80K with the following correspondence. He says, Mark, your Amsterdam correspondent checking in here with the latest word on the street slash canal. Given the frankly baffling popularity of the big porker amongst listeners, frankly baffling, Mike, frankly baffling, I'm baffled, um, I'd like to suggest some new regular features to get the man embedded even deeper into the pod. So in an Alan Partridge style, he's come up with some concepts for you, Mike. Um, if you'd like to listen and maybe think on and, and suggest which ones you'd like to develop maybe into a pilot, um, we'll see where we go. As I say, the... the the big TV vultures are surely circling. Um, first one, bacon and legs. Mike has to guess the town player from a photo of his legs. Pork bellies, ditto, but with their torsos. Pork pie. Mike has to recite the value of pie, increasing by an extra digit each week. Quite like that one. Pork knuckle, ditto. Oh, sorry, pork chops. Pork chops. Each week, Mike talks us through a different karate move. <laughs> Pork knuckle, ditto, but with boxing. Mistaken bacon. I like this one because this, this involves Ross. Mike, with celebrity guest Ross, has to pronounce awkward players' names suggested by listeners. <laughs> and maybe even Mexican food, eh? Fajitas. Um, shaking bacon. The big man sings the rendition of a song by Michael Barrett, a.k.a. the great Shaking Stevens. I can see you doing that. Yorkie Porky. <laughs> we follow Mike's adventures as he trains to become a long-distance HGV driver. And finally, and this could this could be explosive. This could get this could get hit, boys. Bacon and X EX. Each week, we invite one of Mike's former girlfriends to the studio for a deep dive into the big porkers' modus operandi. Um, he says, given that mailbag, Mark's big question and the strike are pretty well dropped from the show these days. Perhaps one, some, or all of the above can be adopted in their place. With Andy providing a heavenly song theme tune, and he signs off with some Dutch which I've got no idea what it means and I'm not going to read in case it's in case it's swearing. So, um, Mike, you've got a few few ideas there for some things we can add to the pod to boost your burgeoning and ever-growing popularity. Any of those take your fancy? 
Mm. Um, the, the Yorkie Porky was, uh, I found that quite interesting to become an HGV driver because I've, I've always, I quite like driving and, um, yeah, I could see myself. Yeah. And obviously, I, obviously we live near Phoenix though. We live near the docks. So I could easily just take one up and then just drive up and down the country. As regards bacon and X, you say bacon X, my X. Bacon and X. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would be, I'll tell you what, you'd have to need a few shows for that, my friends. But hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that, i'm only friends i'm only joking um no i'd like that one i'd like that one obviously i'd have to do it without no yeah hope the wife obviously not being in the house at the same time but i mean that that could still be done oh, I don't know. Um, work. and i like the uh chops is it the one about the, the chops Pork I chops. Like that. I, each week yeah. mike talks us through a different karate move Ka- yeah karate i i did do a little bit of karate as a young person um i got up to a brown belt um, but um, I then somebody kicked me in the head once, and I, I didn't like it anymore, so I never went. So I could do that. Um, a lot of options there. Nice to see. Uh, what? Sorry, I've forgotten his name. Peter. Peter. Thank you, Peter, for that. And it's nice to see. Um, I, I do appreciate that. I do not want to do the one with Ross and silly names because that is ridiculous. I um, think that's but, the winner. Mistaken, mistaken bacon. You mean mistaken bacon? Don't, don't like the idea of that one. No. Yeah. So that's about it, really. Yeah. Um. I mean, I like Holland. I, I like Holland a lot, actually, because I've been over there a few times on football tours. Actually, with uh, back when I was coach of the year back in two thousand eight. Um. So I like Holland a lot. And um. Yeah. Thank you very much, Peter. Some some great ideas there. Um. Probably go with the uh. Yeah. The the, the Yorkie Porky. I like that. Yorkie Porky boys like that. Peter's Peter's earned his corn there, hasn't he? I'm all in on Yorkie Porky. Uh, I can yeah. see you drawing your little curtains in the cab of your in the cab of your lorry and sleeping in a layby. Uh, going, you get to use the special showers. You know, when you go in the big service station, you can go and I'll give them the little nod, and you get the key, which means you get access to the showers. Um, I think you'd be a great trucker. It's very timely as well, isn't it? Now with the, the shortage of of um, of lorry drivers and everything, we'd follow Mike's journey through sort of getting his license and everything as well, doing the test. So you get a bit of, do you remember those driving school with um, Maureen? Maureen, yeah, yeah. kept failing it. Yeah. And then back in the day you had, let's bring back that sort of format. Was it airport? Was it Jeremy on airport? Jeremy, yeah. Kind of the cult figure. Mike can be, he'll be the new sort of cult figure of the, sort of the, the timely British documentary. I'm, I'm loving this. It's going to be you great. Could, you, could, you could see me as the, you could see me as the HGV driver with my sat-nav traipsing over the Peak District because I've taken the rock, the, my sat-nav's taken me like through through Buxton and through the hills rather than I've missed the turning up the M1 or something that's taken me all around. And there I am there's, on a little HGV. There's a bit of ice road truckers in here yes. as well. There'd be an episode where you'd, you'd manage to sort of tip it over the edge of a, an yes. embankment or something. That'd be good. Just be you talking to camera about how the eighties were better and, and that kind of thing. I think it'd be, I think it would be perfect. Yeah. Um. Thank you, Peter. As I say, you've earned every every cent or every penny of your eighty k a year salary there, and I'll be going back to the Arch and Shadowy figures and pointing out just what a fine bit of work you've done. Um, boys. Before we sign off for today, obviously we have to talk about an elephant in the room. Um, ahead of the trip to Pompey, that elephant, I'm afraid, is Stuart Watson. And he was weighed down by a big bag of cash. Uh, Hutchie, you gave him that big bag of cash. And now I can only think you must be regretting it. It was a move that we all thought was odd, given his his history of failing to predict things happening. Um, and he's gone and spunked half your money, more than half your money, up the wall um, and, and greatly reduced the pot that you'd worked so hard to build in million pound picks. Your thoughts, please. I did say, didn't I, be sensible. That was yeah. the last, the last, <laughs> the last thing that I said to you, wasn't it? Be sensible. Do, were you sensible? You weren't sensible, yeah, um, were you? Um, 
It was the right. Let's, let's, yeah. let's be honest. It's the right bet. It's the right bet, isn't it? Macaulay Bond scored three, three, three uh, in three straight games, six of the last seven. You you put money on him scoring again. You maybe don't put six hundred grand on it, but well, Stuart goes, goes big or goes home, doesn't he? That's what he says. Exactly. You did go. I, I got in the car. We did this very rushed on Saturday morning. Andy had mentioned. I think maybe regretted the minute these words came out of his mouth during the previous weekend's game against whoever that was. He said, "I'm off next week." I think I might entrust you with the uh, the money. Obviously, we I made sure we got some audio confirmation via a WhatsApp voice note. We got that out on Saturday morning, and I just thought, yeah, go with it. It felt like it. We'd, we'd had a lot of excitement around Macaulay Bond, as you say, go go hard or go home, and uh, no regrets. You went no home regrets. again, didn't you? I did. I went home. <laughs> um, what, so, what, what are your you'd have you'd have wasted it all on the Miles Kenlock thing? Uh, then there was another one as well, wasn't there? What else? If there was another I one. D- I did say Accrington were bang in trouble as well. But yep. my and... friends, but my friends, I did say in the boot room preview video to Saturday that it would be a two-two draw. You did, now, but you didn't so put any money didn't, on that. So why didn't you do that then? <laughs> I know. <laughs> can you imagine? But I, I can. I it. can imagine, but you didn't. And can I? Can I let people into another little secret as well? Before, uh, before I think it was Lee Evans took the corner last weekend against Shrewsbury that Macaulay Bond ultimately, um, ultimately scored the winner from. Did you or did you not begin the sentence of uh, no, discussing? Well, did you or did you not start telling telling me how you thought that maybe Bond should come off now? He's not really impacted the game today. <laughs> and then literally within two seconds, had flashed a really good header into the back of the net. Did, did that, that happen? That was, that was classic. You know, you talk about the commentator's curse. You yeah. could not, you know, we talked about the comedy timing of Ross bursting on the platform. Like This was, we both burst into laughter because mm-hmm. we were just talking sort of casually. And I said, well, Bond's not been as effective today. You could almost make an argument that maybe he needs to come. And as the word off came out of my mouth, the, the ball hit the back of the net and we both... Uh, we both laughed heartily, didn't we, we did. Andrew? You've got to have a little chuckle to yourself sometimes, and uh, and that's exactly what we did. Um, nobody's laughing now, though. We've got uh, a scenario here. Andy went a bit white when I told him what the bet was, and then I reminded him that it is actually fictional cash. Well, that, that's what you think. You keep telling me that it's, it's all right, mate. It's all right. It's fictional cash. But my, I'm going to lose my house. <laughs> I want this to go horribly wrong because I want this to be a lesson that... that that gambling is a mugs game, and that you know this is almost an anti-gambling message. That's how quickly it can go. So, um... well, it was, it was, as you say, it was proving to be an example of how much money you can make from gambling because Hutchie was 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 making cash hand over fist until you lost it all for him. Um, but it is, in a way, it's kind of a simile for what we've been discussing, isn't it? In terms of the manager and the players, you Hutchie have entrusted Stewie with that money, despite the fact you know he's a, he's a liability. Let's be honest. Um, and now you now you've you've reaped repercussions of that with the halving of your pot, so you can also have to take a heavy heavy portion of the blame there. Surely, what are you oh, going to do? What are you going to do at Pompey? How I'm much fed up of, left? I'm fed up of all the over analysis of of, <laughs> of my of my betting. To be honest, what yeah. am I going to do at Portsmouth? So I'm down from one point one two five million pounds down to five hundred and twenty five grand. Ouch, uh, which is a heavy loss. Yeah. But I'm gonna. I'm going to use, oh, I'm going to use 125,000 pounds of it on there being more than 3.5 goals in this game. So uh, at odds, at odds of three goals. to one, yeah, yeah. Four, four goals or more. 
returns five hundred thousand um, pounds. Portsmouth score and concede quite a lot of goals, as do Ipswich. Um, so I'm hoping that that might get me back to where we were pre uh, pre Watson. Pre <laughs> Watson getting involved. Um, boys, that's that's perfect segue. Obviously, we need to talk about Pompey and the FA Cup draw. Let's do that first of all. FA Cup draw, Oldham at home. Home draw, boys. That's all we wanted, wasn't it? Um, just a fairly run-of-the-mill home game, Stewie. This is where I do the little partridge. But that's all we want, isn't it? When I was I was sitting at the, at the thing watching it yesterday, about to put it online, and I was just thinking, just please get a home game. Don't be... Plymouth away, or you know, another one of well, those. What it does mean is we get obviously <laughs> we get the replay at Boundary Park because that's that's guaranteed. Um, Ipswich, <laughs> all the times we've celebrated a home draw for Ipswich, and then they've they've gone and got the replay. Preston, I think that was the case. Lincoln, when they ultimately went out, uh, Portsmouth, yeah, Portsmouth, um, Lincoln again, actually, wasn't it when they actually won last time around? So, um, that's that's guaranteed, isn't it? This has got home draw replay written all over it seeing as the replays are back in back in action this year post covid mike it'd be remiss of us to move on from the fa cup without mentioning the heroics of afc sudbury who performed a giant killing in the finest traditions of fa cup history and uh, by beating dartford a team that we're familiar with boys having been to dartford at the start of the season in pre-season 3-1 the unbeaten leaders of the national league south and their reward mike is no more no less than hosting Ipswich Town's veteran side at AFC Sudbury on that same weekend. Colchester United coming to town. Luke Chambers and co are going to play on that beautiful 3G pitch at AFC Sudbury. Mm, fantastic result for Sudbury. Fantastic result <laughs> for non-league football in Suffolk. And of course, how fantastic to have two, you know, two Suffolk teams in the FA Cup first round. Um, I mean, terrific. Absolutely it's a great achievement. I was actually, I, I think I may be wrong, but were laced in the last team, non-league team in Suffolk to get to the FA Cup first round. They may well have been. Uh, I went yeah. to see them at Fleetwood. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they were at home to Fleetwood, drew 0-0, then lost at Fleetwood 2-0, which I went up to see. That was a back in 2000 and blah, blah, blah. Can't remember, 2004, if I'm, 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 I'm wrong. Fantastic for Sudbury. What a great occasion that'll be. Um, Colchester United at home. Um, I have already, I've already spoken to the um, Sudbury press Officer today, um, who told me his phone hasn't stopped ringing since uh, since uh, Sunday lunchtime. So they're in for a cracking time. Great for Suffolk football. Great for Suffolk non-league football. Um, you know, everyone that knows me knows I love my non-league. And um, yeah, terrific to have two Suffolk teams in the FA Cup first round. I wish Ipswich Town were in the FA Cup third round, mind you, came in at rather than coming in at this round. But we we are what we are, and we are are where we are. Um, yep, great for Sudbury. <laughs> Be really really interesting. Against Colts be a fantastic crowd, be packed. I want yeah. to see that one on TV, Mike. I, I would hope I'd hope that's one they would consider for a televised for a televised game. They do a lot more games now, don't the BBC on the red button with the FA Cup. So I mean, really, it's it's up there. You you'd think it's I up there. Like... ITV and BBC have now got joint rights on the yep. FA Cup this year. I think there'll be four games over the weekend: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That tie surely has got a very good chance of being one of those. But it's, it's FA finance, Cup. Great finance for the club, of course, for, for Sudbury. They won 10 grand, I think, or nine grand on just for getting through the round on Saturday. And I think a huge crowd as well. And if they would go on television, I mean, for, for non-league clubs, this is just manna from heaven, you know. Um, so, yeah, let's hope so. That is a classic FA Cup tie, isn't it? And it would seem to be perfect for TV because Sudbury, the lowest ranked side left in the competition. They're, they're playing a league club at home. That would seem perfect for a, for a TV 
game and, and potentially, hopefully, maybe even a giant killing, Mike. Do you know what one. isn't? A, do you know what isn't uh, a TV game? Ipswich Town v Oldham. <laughs> yeah, I, I would argue that that's a derby between two of the most greyest, dullest, depressing football clubs <laughs> of the last 20 years. Oldham would probably be Ipswich's biggest rivals if we were having who have been the most boring football club in the land over 20 years. No promotions, no relegations, no trips to Wembley. They'd be ticking all the same boxes as, as Ipswich. So, um, Founding members of the Premier League as well. <laughs> yeah. In that case, you can we play it on on Oldham's old plastic pitch? Do you remember that? It literally was plastic. Yeah, that um, was a great era, wasn't it, for Oldham? I think there's a book just out about their their sort of uh, halcyon days with Joe Royal in charge and everything. But, Andy um, Ritchie, Andy I've Ritchie, got, I've got a copy of that book. Yeah, yeah, written Super. by Mike Mike Keegan has written it. It's uh, meant to be very good. Excellent. We digress a little bit, boys. Let's go back to Pompey. You're making the trip to Portsmouth tomorrow. I'm sure you're looking forward to it, uh, the three of you, Stewie, Andy and Roscoe. Um, clearly a big game. On paper, it's a, it's a game between two of the bigger sides in League One. Um, struggling. Portsmouth have got a strange set of results, boys. They lost 4-1 at Rotherham at the weekend. But before that, they tonked Sunderland 4-0. Um, so up and down time at at, uh, at Fratton Park with Danny Cowley. Stewie, what, what do you make of this game? What's your prediction? Uh, and we'll bet on exactly the opposite. <laughs> Portsmouth were in exactly the same situation as Ipswich, aren't they? A sort of team that's finding it difficult to get out of League One. Obviously, they're a little bit further into their, their journey than Ipswich are at this level. One win in 11 now for them, and that was that Sunderland game. Um, big turnover of players in the summer. There's a few names in there that people will recognise. Ryan Tunnicliffe, formerly at Ipswich. Joe Morell, who Ipswich obviously tried to snatch from under Portsmouth's nose in, in the window. Um, I think 18 of their, sorry, 11 of their 18-man squad at the weekend were summer signings. So they're they're in transition as well. Um, I like going to Fratton Park, especially under the lights. I'll always remember, I think Ipswich went there and won and, and Portsmouth were on their way to, to relegation from the championship when everything was going horribly wrong for them. And I remember their fans still being to a man in that ground singing their hearts out about two hours plus after the final whistle. So looking forward to it as a spectacle. Um, as Andy says, the both teams scoring and conceding galore. So do you want a prediction now? I do. 2-2. Two, two. Desmond's 2-2. Two, two. That seems to be de rigueur as a prediction. Roscoe, you just sprinted out of the room um, and then came my, back. My, my, my laptop was about to die. Ah, uh, was it? Is someone hoovering at your house as well? I can hear. It's my laptop. I don't know what's. It's making a random noise. It sounds like it's going to explode. Um, move it over there. Can you still hear it? I can still hear it. Yeah. Anyway, get your prediction out quickly. What do you think is going to happen at Portsmouth? What, what What do you reckon may occur tomorrow night? We're going to lose. Oh dear. Sorry to be negative. I just I don't know. I just feel like two one. We're going to lose two one. Two one was my prediction when I did that. Looking ahead. Um, bit last week, Mike. What do you reckon? Are you feeling positive about Pompey? Uh, yes, very positive. I, I, I've got my positive head on today, um, which is good news for for um, for Paul Cook because I'm going to go for a, a two nil town win. Two nil town win. Wow! Yeah. Now that would be the sort of result that can kickstart seasons. Hutch, are you feeling equally positive? I'm with I'm with Watson on this one. I can I, two two is be would be how I would feel about this one. There's there's definitely some interesting subplots in this. 
Ellis Harrison is slowly returning to a bit of fitness as well. Michael Jacobs, um, mm. who was who was in the building, uh, ready to sign for Ipswich. He's only been on the bench mainly, but um, be interesting to see how he's feeling with this. Cook Cook back at Portsmouth. We obviously went there last season, back to his old club, but nobody was there. Empty stadium. Ipswich lost that day, but he'll be he'll be back with um, back in front of the fans um, for this one. So there's so many. So many intriguing subplots. Danny Cowley, who's who's someone that's he's always fancied the job here at Ipswich. It's never never happened. Um, so yeah, uh, looking forward to it very much. Fratton Park, great atmosphere. But yeah, two two, two two. I think two two. Stewie, can we call this the Checkbook FC derby? <laughs> yeah, that sort of see that that nickname soon faded away, didn't it? I'm intrigued tactically by this game because Portsmouth play a variation of 3-5-2. It's wing-backs in some way, shape or form, which I think in some ways might suit Ipswich potentially because they have got they could put some real fresh legs in on those wing positions. You could stick Wes Burns and Carl Edwards on either wing if you want. Two exciting wingers with fresh legs to... Uh, to exploit, you know, maybe two v ones down the flanks. I think this might be that might be Ipswich's um, area to win this game. Would be down down the sides if they can uh, if they can tighten things up through the spine. Okay, so we've got two 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 nil town and two votes for two one Pompey. That's going to happen tomorrow. Follow it with the boys. Um, boys, any other business before we we take our leave? It's been quite a long one today with all five kings um, and some very long answers. No other business. No, no other, other business. business. Excellent. I hope you've enjoyed what has been only the second show with the full Five King lineup in KOA podcast history. Enjoy the game if you're going to Portsmouth tomorrow and well played if you are. Follow it with us um, in print and online and we'll be back later this week to break it all down and hopefully Hutchie would have won back some of that money that Stu so irresponsibly spunked away. Have a great start to your week and we'll see you again next time. Crime to football, Brexit to postal. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon. Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon.